So if you want to give me the L on that, you can go fuck yourself. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome into the Fantasy Flexicution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Palashotti. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, dude? Hey, welcome back. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, back like I never left, man. I feel, yeah. feel good. feel uh, maybe a little rusty, actually. You're going to have to guide me through this beginning here. Oh, this is easy. We'll, we'll start off with story time. How about that? So um, oh, I'm leaving it. the gym the other day, humble brag. And I'm on my way back, and I got just the music going on shuffle, and some Kanye pops up. It was something from uh, uh, graduation, I think, maybe college dropout. I can't remember, but it just got me thinking back. Like, man, Kanye was so amazing. Like, whether or not you like the guy or not, his music was so good for a solid, like, four years there, which is a lifetime in the recording industry, right? And I was just thinking, like, Kanye West had like that solid stretch. Then he just kind of disappeared into nowhere, went crazy. But he is 100% Odell Beckham. He just had that elite stretch for like three or four years there where he just could not be touched, just looked like the best in the game. And then just in the blink of an eye, done. It's all over. He went crazy. Odell started punching nets and walls and Lambo and whatnot. And it was just all yeah. over. Yeah. It's a uh, life imitating art right there. I mean, yeah. you got real life, Odell Beckham Jr. and the artist Kanye West just completely mirroring Dude, each other's careers. That's impressive. Was, I didn't even think about that. A, <laughs> makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> it, what was the line by Drake? I swear sports and music are so synonymous because we want to be them and they want to be us. Yeah. So on behalf of the demanded and the entertainment that you take for granted, you, you could thank me now. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kanye West lost his f***ing mind. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Odell Beckham, I'm sure, is not too far behind. I mean, once he starts missing out on some targets in L.A., you know, it's going to be a shit Well, you show. know what's going to happen. Look for Odell Beckham on your 2024 presidential ticket if he's following the timeline. <laughs> Hell yeah. Vote OBJ 2024. <laughs> OBJ for president. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's get to the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Actually, actually, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. All right, so the biggest news this week, Christian McCaffrey is once again out for the season so this is back-to-back years now that his season's cut short. Actually, only seven games over the past two years that you were able to throw CMC in your lineup. I think this means this. This is a huge shift for dynasty fantasy football. I mean, he yep. in non-super flex leagues, he has been the lock one hundred and one for what two years, three years now. Yeah, three three solid years now. He's been at least in the conversation, and we want to talk about three or four years in the recording industry. People don't do that in fantasy football, stay at the top at that 101 for two, three years in a row, the way we've seen McCaffrey do it. And yeah, I didn't want to put the injury label on him going into the year that a lot of people thought of because he's been the model of health going into last season. But now this is three injuries in the last two years that are going to cause him to miss time. Uh, he was already starting to be supplanted, I think, by Jonathan Taylor in fantasy circles. And then, depending on scoring format, really, Derrick Henry in that conversation, too. So it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes in terms of startups or what you can, what kind of deals we're going to see from Christian McCaffrey or for Christian McCaffrey in this offseason. Yeah, I bet he's going to be one of the most traded for and traded Absolutely. away players this offseason. So. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of different takes on you know, if if people think that he's no longer going to be a bell cow, can he still produce at such a high level with 70% of the work that he's normally getting? There's going to be a lot of different conversations. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Christian McCaffrey. But where do you another, fall on it before we move on from that? Where, like, where, where do, I where do you on value on Yeah, where do you value think, Christian McCaffrey right now? I think in Dynasty Leagues, he's going to be a value um, because, yeah. you know, people are, are, I think, dying to get what they can for him now. Um, but... 
in seasonal leagues, I think he's going to be valued appropriately because he's still, in my opinion, if he stays healthy, even if he just pay, plays like 12 to 14 games, you're getting a great RB1 for your for your team. Like, and, and in one year, 2022, that's great. If you're a contender, maybe this offseason he's a guy you look to trade for um, in dynasty leagues because I think he's got another year or two left in him of some really good production. You just need to get some injury luck. And I, and I honestly think that's what it is most of the time, um, unless these are, you know, recurring injuries on the same joint or the same muscle or ligament, right. anything like that. Uh, it's really just luck. Uh, but that takes us to the next player who – uh, we saw this coming a few weeks ago. I brought him up as a sell for rebuilders. Dalvin Cook dislocated his shoulder, um, not considered season ending, uh, but he already had a torn labrum on his other shoulder. We talked about his shoulder injuries uh, when I brought him up on that sell show as well. He's had shoulder injuries from college into the NFL that have only gotten worse. These are progressively worsening injuries as you age. The wear and tear over time, really uh, gets debilitating on a lot of running backs. This isn't uncommon for the running back position, and uh, it was only a matter of time, I think, for Dalvin Cook. Yeah, and he's an anomaly to me, and the way that he's deployed by the Minnesota Vikings, who have maybe one of the best two or three backup running backs in all of football, yet Dalvin Cook, who has, for several years now, just consistently been dealing with injury every single week, it seems like, always stays in that bell cow role. Why do you not deploy him in a one, one, a one B sort of timeshare? Like we wouldn't like that necessarily for fantasy, but if you're the Minnesota Vikings, why are you not playing Alexander Madison over Dalvin cook more the way that we're seeing like Tony Pollard with Ezekiel Elliott this year, the way in green Bay, you see like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon with that one, two punch. That's never on the table. Whenever Dalvin cook's starting, he's consistently pulling in 70, 80% of rush attempts and of snaps for the Minnesota Vikings. And, being able to split his time like that when you have a competent backup, like I said, one of the best backup running backs in the league in Alexander Madison who can do everything that Dalvin Cook can do, that's a way to elongate someone's career. And remember, Dalvin Cook just signed that big extension just a year or two ago. The Vikings are still on the hook for a lot of money for Dalvin Cook. So as these injuries continue to pile up and pile up, I have to wonder if eventually, like it has to get through at some point, we eventually start to see Alexander Madison. I think him and Cook both have two years left after this season on their current contracts, if we begin to see Madison deployed a little bit more, even when Dalvin Cook is healthy. Yeah, I don't understand it either, but I, I think there is reasons to point to, not that they would be enough of a reason in my eyes, but for an NFL team that invested that much money, they want to get their pound of flesh. You know what I mean? They want to run that guy into the ground um, and, and use him up, which in my opinion is, is dumb because just to justify that contract, you need him to make massive plays for you in the playoffs. You don't need sure. him to go out week 12 uh, with a four-week injury, right? You, you could handle his workload um, much smarter by using Alexander Madison throughout the regular season. If you get into the playoffs, then you can ride him till the wheels fall off where you really need the, your best players to play every snap, right? I mean, there's a reason why the best D tackles in football play like 60%, 70% of the snaps until oh, yeah. the playoffs, that, and then they just... play 100% of the snaps. I mean, it, it's when it really matters, and, and it, they don't seem to understand that. And it goes it goes back to Mike Zimmer. I think he's probably going to get fired this year. Uh, they just lost another game this past week. so Yeah, if they don't make the playoffs for sure. Yeah, I, th- I think he's out. And then you'll probably see a smarter approach, at least whoever's the new uh, regime there will want to take it a lot easier on their high-priced running back. Yeah, it's just it's not one of these situations like we see with a Christian McCaffrey or a Jonathan Taylor or a Derrick Henry where they are just head and shoulders above whoever's playing behind them. So you can justify giving them 80, 90 percent of snaps on a week to week basis. And also with these guys coming into this year or with those guys that I just mentioned, none of them really had that injury prone label. They weren't constantly dealing with the injuries that Cook's been dealing with seemingly his whole career. So I would expect a massive shift in the way that he's utilized, whether like you said, via coaching change or maybe just a change in Zimmer's philosophy. If he does hang around. Moving on, Mike McCarthy coach for the Dallas Cowboys tested positive for COVID. He will not be on the sidelines this Thursday against the saints in a reverse or the opposite uh, moved down there in Dallas. Amari Cooper, who had been on the COVID uh, reserve list, has now been activated. So he will be ready to play on Thursday. Are you at all worried about starting Amari on Thursday, having just came off a long-term COVID stint? Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, let's start with Amari. Talking about the wide receiver position, 
your conditioning is so critical. You lose a step or two. Absolutely. Like it, It's not like he's been injured and rehabbing on the side in the facility or anything like that. He has been laid up with COVID for two weeks, which is... And, and we're not talking about like uh, the high profile one, Aaron Rodgers. You don't exactly need that stamina, that longevity at the quarterback position, nearly what you do at the wide receiver position. But one of the things that I think that they want to do is get him on the field, if nothing else, to uh, maybe take Lattimore away from C.D. Lamb for this game. And even if Amari's out there just being utilized as a decoy, that would be huge for the Dallas offense, who, like you said, McCarthy's going to be out for this game. Uh, they are going to bring in Dan Quinn down from the booth, who obviously has head coaching experience. He's been a play caller before, so I don't expect that to be as big of an impact, but definitely temper your expectations for Cooper this week. Yeah, and Dan Quinn's very familiar with the offense of the Saints and and, and what they and the defense of the Saints, what they run down yeah. there. I mean, he was a head coach in Atlanta uh, while the same regime was there in New Orleans, so I don't think it's going to change much for the approach for Dallas. Uh, but I think it, it would be interesting to see how they deploy Amari having coming off that long-term right. COVID stint. On to Kevin Stefanski. He was asked, um, what you know, what's he going to do with Baker? He said he won't bench Baker. And then down there in Carolina, Matt Rule also put his confidence behind his quarterback, Cam Newton, saying that he will be the starter after their bye week in week 14. Does this mean anything to you? Well, one thing I'm definitely paying attention to is these are two quarterbacks that are on contract years. Like Baker's expecting a big contract extension. Cam's just trying to stay in the league at this point. And I think coming into this season, Baker was probably a shoe-in for that massive extension, something similar, maybe if it doesn't surpass what Josh Allen got just because he is a franchise quarterback from that same class. And I don't think there was really much of a question on if the extension would get done. It was, would he get a bigger deal than Allen or anything like that? I don't know that he's helping his case right now playing through all these injuries and you could put it on the injuries if you want to but I haven't seen anything from Baker in now four plus years in the league or however long it's been I think about four years to make me think that I want to pay him the same way that we've seen in the last couple of years a Josh Allen get paid or a Patrick Mahomes get paid I don't know that he is the future of the franchise and don't hear what I'm not saying like I do think they will work out an extension, and I think he's the quarterback for Cleveland again next year. I'm just saying I'm much more in doubt. Baker's always been a much better quarterback for the Browns than he is for fantasy football, and so he gets a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth of fantasy players, but I just haven't seen it out of Baker that I know that I could justify giving him that massive deal like we saw from Allen. Yeah, and he still has the fifth-year option coming up. He is he's cost-controlled right for at least another sure. year. Uh, they're probably going to have a teens draft pick. I would I would take a quarterback if I was Cleveland in this upcoming mm. draft and look look for them to possibly do that. I mean Andrew Berry came from Philly. He's really analytical based. Uh, he takes a, an analytical approach to team building, and he has to know that the most important position, the one that gives you the highest ceiling, is the quarterback position. And Baker keeps them as a one dimensional team, in my opinion. I really like Baker as like a game manager, and I think. You know, you you pick up that fifth year option, and you ha- you bring in a rookie. He's going to compete. He's not the kind of guy who's going to kind of shy away from that. I think he's kind of he's at least proven that. So if Baker ups his game and and he starts playing really well, then you have a great quarterback for next year. If not, then you have a guy that can watch Baker for at least the first half of the season until you think he's ready, maybe the full season, and then you got a starter in twenty twenty three. I think it's kind of a no brainer for a team with such a great defense and a bunch of other pieces. See, I think that's bold. I don't know how many people would agree with you on that one, especially in what's expected to be more a more weak quarterback class than we've seen over the last three or four years, dating back to pre- probably before Baker's class. There doesn't really seem to be that home run first round pick. And when we're talking about picks in the mid-teens, I, th- I think you're really just shooting up a wild shot at that point. I don't know if that's the direction Cleveland wants to go, given how much they need on their offense, really everything except for the running backs and then parts of the offensive line could use an upgrade. I think this is a team that needs to just get Baker some weapons if you're not sold on him. Let him pick up that fifth-year option, like I, like you said, if if you're not convinced or maybe not 100% certain that he's the long-term option. Give him some toys to play with. All right? We saw Odell Beckham flame out, and that was a huge failure. But Jarvis Landry is not that guy anymore. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, these guys may be all right, but they're not superstars. So if you really want to see if Baker's your guy, go get him a shiny new toy to play with. If not in the draft, then in free agency. you got plenty of guys going into free agency this offseason that can make an impact at the wide receiver position. Remember the name Kenny Pickett, four-year starter at Pittsburgh. I think he is the ideal candidate for a team like the Browns or the Steelers that have a lot of pieces in place. 
and they just need a better thrower of the football. Well, how about Carolina, who you alluded to earlier with uh, Cam is going to continue to start? I think that's really just because they don't have any other options. Uh, Darnold got his shot, and whether or not he's healthy, I don't think he's – no matter what Cam really does, I think it's his team over Darnold for the rest of the season. And then what you saw out of P.J. Walker in his limited time has been – erratic is a nice way of putting it just he he's not a professional quarterback seems like a good athlete and he'll make some wow plays to put on tape but he's the kind of guy who will finish with a stat line very similar to what we saw out of cam this last week which is nothing to write home about at all no and i know that's just rumors and speculation because a lot of news in the college football world has, has broke this past week but people are suspecting matt rule might be looking to go back to college um, yeah if you can get you know, paid like we just know- saw lincoln riley get paid hell yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have the Oklahoma job open, the Notre Dame job sure. open. Matt Rule is, is college football royalty after what he did in Temple and Baylor. And Baylor, yeah. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, obviously, that's just speculation, but what ifs are fun. All right, man, you ready for the recap? Let's do this. All right, I'll kick us off. We're starting in Cincy where the Bengals took charge quicker than Ben Roethlisberger in a barroom bathroom oh, as they dominated the Steelers 41-10. to 10. Joe Burrow was efficient yet again, especially against the Blitz, grading out top of the league against the Blitz this week. His running back, Joe Mixon, continues to provide the pillars of fantasy production. That's opportunity and efficiency. He is now third in the league in rush yards, yards after contact, and rushing touchdowns. The rookie, Jamar Chase, was outshined by T. Higgins this week. In uh, in this one, T. Higgins reeled in six 15-plus yard receptions. That's second most by any receiver in a game this season. Only Devontae Adams has had more in a single game. On the other side, Deontay Johnson surpassed 10 PPR fantasy points again, which has been the case every single week of the season. And he now has 107 yards with only one drop on the year. Yeah, Joe Mixon was outstanding, like you said. He's finished as a top five running back in fantasy in five of his last six games for the Bengals. Jamar Chase has come back down to earth a little bit over the last four games, scoring almost exactly half the points per game that he did over his first seven. For the Steelers, Pat Fryermuth with his lowest target share of the season since week five at just 10%, yet still finishes as a top 10 tight end on the week, a testament to the state of the tight end position. He was placed in the concussion protocol this week, so keep an eye out for that. And Deontay Johnson, like you said, finishes with over a 30% target share for the sixth time this season, a mark hit by only him, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, and DJ Moore. Good company there. Next up to Indy, where the Buccaneers took care of the Colts 38-31 on the back of Leonard Fournette as he ties Doug Martin and Jimmy Giles for the most touchdowns in a game in Bucks history. The four rushing scores were the most for Tampa Bay on the ground since 2012. Tom Brady has now not lost to the Colts in over a decade. He is 9-0 against Indy since 2010, but finishes with below 20 fantasy points for the third straight game. Jonathan Taylor, outstanding, scores 18 or more fantasy points for the ninth game in a row, the longest streak for a Colts running back since Hall of Famer Edgerin James in 2005. Yeah, shout out Doug Martin, the muscle hamster. Best oh, yeah. nickname in fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> Old man Brady was tested, but he didn't have to do much thanks to Lenny. He finishes outside the top 14 quarterbacks for the second time in three weeks. Over to South Beach, where the Finns stomp out the reeling Panthers, 33-10. Jalen Waddell has been impressive all year, but if you wanted an official breakout game, this was it. He went over 100 yards for the first time in his young career, and he is the highest-graded rookie wide receiver by PFF this week. He now has 101 targets and 77 catches on the year. Both are top 10 at the position league-wide. He's also second in the league with five eight-plus catch performances. So really impressive stuff out of the rookie there. Tua, he had a good game again. His A dot remains pretty low, but he continues to be very accurate, and he's taking steps forward when he's not putting the ball on the ground, which seems to happen at least once a game. Cam's final stat line in this one, 5 of 21, 92 yards, and two interceptions. Simply brutal. Yeah, I don't know if I've had any quicker vindication of a sell than I did for Cam Newton on last week's solo pod. CMC, like we said, out for the year as he finishes his first career game without a catch in the loss to Miami. Don't scramble to acquire Chuba Hubbard. He's already let you down with the opportunity this season, and that was before Amir Abdullah. Check your waiver wires for the veteran pass catcher. Miles Gaskin sees his opportunity drop to about half of what it was for the last three weeks, but he did score twice to salvage his week. You know what? I'm done talking about Miles Gaskin. 
Next up to Foxborough, the Patriots win 36-13 over the Tennessee Titans. Belichick destroys his old protege, Vrabel, in 36-13 fashion. Excuse me while I take some victory laps surrounding the running backs in this game. Remember a few weeks ago when everyone's blowing their fab load over Adrian Peterson? Who was the Dynasty podcast that told you to add Deontay Foreman? He handled 60% of the opportunities for Tennessee, even in a negative gain script, in route to over 100 total yards on the day. Kendrick Bourne continues to be what Nelson Aguilar was supposed to be for New England. He's been over a 15% target share in five straight. The New England running backs were in a 55-45 split in rushing between Harris and Stevenson, while Brandon Bolden handles all the passing work. Like we told you, stay away from this New England backfield. Yeah, stay away is right. This backfield is predictably unpredictable. And uh, speaking of unpredictable, Mac Jones keeps killing it. This was his sixth game with a passer rating over 100. That's as many as Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson had in their first 12 starts. Not to mention, he is leading an offense that scores on 49.6% of its drives. That is best in football. And for Tennessee, it wasn't all bad. Foreman with 109 yards and Hilliard with 133 rushing yards become the first tandem in the league this year to both top 100 yards in a game. To the Meadowlands where the Eagles are a f***ing embarrassment. So <laughs> listen here, right? Right after everyone buys into the Harry Roseman leaked media sensationalized narrative that Jalen Hurts has proved himself, he has the worst f***ing game of his career. He was terrible and now everyone <laughs> is walking back their takes calling Hurts a scrub. Everyone just needs to shut the f*** up. This is one game. You are never going to tell me that you know anything about Jalen Hurts after one game or after half a season with this miserable roster surrounding him. So leaking this was such bullshit. It was an obvious cover your ass move by Harry Roseman. Like, give it up, dude. Everybody knows you've been trying to justify the Hurts selection and the QB factory comments since you made that. You just shut your dumb f***ing mouth, dude. Everybody knows that you're you're full of shit. So speaking of terrible draft decisions, did you watch this game? Because Jalen Rager was miserable. He's a bum. Howie Roseman can't pick the right wide receiver when there's three or four on the board at the time that are downright animals like Michael Pittman, T. Higgins, Justin Justin Jefferson Jefferson all went after him. And they're crushing it as sophomores while Jalen Rager is s***ing himself in front of 80,000 Screaming Birds fans. It's f***ing pathetic. I don't even know if you have that like written down in a corner in your house somewhere or if that was just one of the best improv rants off the top of your dome. But either way, well done. Like you said, so let me try to salvage this. Jalen Hurts with his worst fantasy performance of the season, and it came in a game where he rushed for 77 yards. He's currently 11th in the NFL in rushing, just 12 yards behind Lamar Jackson for the QB lead. Miles Sanders has underperformed this season due to injuries and a lack of touchdowns. He's been held without a score in the nine games that he's played this season. On the other side, Saquon Barkley over an 80% rush share for the G-Men, but turned his 13 carries into just 40 yards on the ground, the bulk of which came on a 32-yard run in the second quarter, just 8 yards on 12 carries outside of that. Something to monitor here, Mike Glennon currently expected to start in place of a hobbled Daniel Jones, who is currently dealing with a neck injury. They face the Finns in Week 13. Next up to a game that nobody wanted to win. The Falcons get the win over the Jags. Kyle Pitts with just 26 yards on six targets as Matt Ryan continues to struggle, being held under 200 passing yards for the fourth time in his last five games. Cordero Patterson had his second highest rush share of the season coming off of the injury with 135 yards from scrimmage in the win. James Robinson also goes over 100 scrimmage yards. He's currently third in the NFL amongst running backs in yards per carry amongst running backs with over 100 rush attempts. Last week's deep shot, Laquan Treadwell did play on 63 of 73 Jaguar snaps, something to keep an eye on. Dan Arnold was placed on IR and is out until at least week 16 for Jacksonville. All right, I, I calmed down. I'm back. Cordell Patterson, he's a delight. I mean, if anybody can cheer you up, it's Cordell (laughs) Patterson. He has 48 targets this year without a drop, and he became the first Falcons player to have 100 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns in a game since Devontae Freeman did it in 2016. Albeit in a down year, Matt Ryan has been the most accurate quarterback in the league on targets at least 10 yards down the field. That's something to hang your hat on. James Robinson, he went into this game with a staggering 352 career attempts without a single fumble, but he was benched during this game for fumbling. Urban Meyer totally knows what he's doing. Oh my god. Down to Houston where the Jets win an ugly one, 21-14. This game sucked. 
Uh, my <laughs> prince, Zach Wilson, he threw one of the ugliest interceptions you'll see all year. Uh, I say it every week, and his leash is starting to shorten, but I'm still reserving judgment that his rookie antics will subside with experience and his raw talent will shine through. On the other side, the Texans' running game post-Philip Lindsay was nearly a dead split as Burkhead and Johnson finished with a 45-55 rush share. The Texans' running backs, as a whole, have three touchdowns this season. Two of them were from Mark Ingram and Philip Lindsay, who are each currently employed by other teams. Tevin Coleman was the leading rusher for the Jets with over 50% of the team's carries, along with a 13% target share. Elijah Moore with a season-high 35% target share, but only 46 yards for the rookie, as the Jets' passing game was just largely ineffective. Another ineffective passing game was the Denver Broncos, as they pull out the win over the division rival Chargers 28-13 in spite of just 155 yards through the air. Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton combine for six catches and 68 yards. This Denver passing game is sinking rosters as we near the fantasy playoffs. Speaking of sinking, Joe Lombardi is back to his old ways. A week after Herbert used all his tools to beat a good Pittsburgh defense, old Joey Lombardi put the chastity belt back on and held Herbert back. Very conservative play calling. And to be fair, Herbert is having an inconsistent second year, but cowardly coaching is at least partly to blame for this. And I know I've mentioned this before, but it continues to ring true. Javante Williams, he leads the league in forced missed tackle rate, and he has the highest such rate by any back since 2006. Stud. To the Bay, where Kyle Shanahan's 49ers and their rushing attack stole the show en route to a 34-26 victory over the Vikings. Elijah Moore is fantastic, as was Debo Samuel. He becomes one of only three players in league history to have a thousand yards receiving, five rushing, and five receiving touchdowns in a season. He's accomplished that in only 11 games, and the other two players that did it were running backs. Debo was banged up, and his groin injury has him listed as week to week going forward. And for the Vikings, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are having great seasons. They rank one and two across the league in passer rating when targeted. Also, the number one duo in pass, or rather receiving touchdowns for the Vikings this season. Elijah Mitchell has transformed into a full-fledged bell cow. He passes Billy Kilmer for the most 100-yard rushing games for a San Francisco rookie. Debo Samuel surpasses his own record from 2019 for the most rushing yards from a San Francisco wide receiver in a season. As we talked about, Dalvin Cook continues to battle injuries. His latest shoulder dislocation could sideline him for the rest of your fantasy season. Call him week to week at the moment. Next up, Aaron Rodgers continues to own Matthew Stafford in their careers, 36-28 as he wins his 13th game and 11, or rather 17 tries against Stafford. A.J. Dillon was just made for winter football. He outscores Aaron Jones and has done so in each of the last three games they've played together. Daryl Henderson got a little banged up in the contest with an injured quad. Odell Beckham gets into this end zone with his first receiving touchdown in 14 months. I can't even count that high. This was a great win for the Packers, and of course, Devontae Adams was a big reason for it. He now has nine 30-plus yard receptions on the year that tops the league. And Kyle, you know the saying, good teams win, but great teams cover. The Packers are now 10-2 and versus the spread. I blame Vegas more than I credit the Packers. They hate Green Bay this <laughs> in, year. In Baltimore... <laughs> The Ravens sneak a win in typical AFC North style by a score of 16-10. to 10. Lamar doesn't seem right, and maybe it's the illness that's just sticking around or something else, but the they doo-doo. can't get performances like this from him and expect to go deep into the playoffs. On to the other side, the Browns have to be ecstatic with the timing of this bye week. They are beat down on offense and need this time to recover and get back to form. And if they do, watch out for the Browns. That roster is too good to be playing the way they are. And on the bright side, Jarvis Landry had a day for the first time in quite some time as he goes six receptions for 111 yards on the day. Leading rusher in this broken Cleveland offense was Kareem Hunt with an uninspiring 20 on the ground. Nick Chubb finishes with eight for 16. Rotational tight end Harrison Bryant suffered a high ankle sprain and could be put on the (laughs) shelf for a few weeks. The Ravens have scored 16 or fewer points in three straight games for the first time in the Jackson era. Lamar, the first quarterback to throw four picks in a regular season win since Andy Dalton in 2013. It did, however, happen once since in the postseason. Shoddy, do you remember when that was? Russell Wilson in the Uh, NFC Championship game. I hate bringing it up, but we watched it together, (laughs) so I feel like I had to. 
All right, rounding up the disgusting primetime slates, the Washington football team wins over Seattle 15-17. Taylor Heineke is the first undrafted quarterback in NFL history to defeat three different starting quarterbacks who had previously started a Super Bowl in three straight starts, being Tom Brady, Cam Newton, and Russell Wilson. Washington improves to 5-2 against the NFC this season, although going 0-4 against the AFC will not help their playoff push. All the ugly stats in the world are just unneeded to say that Russell Wilson and this Seattle offense looks broken. Antonio Gibson has been unleashed to the tune of 36 touches, a career high for him. He leads the league in total carries over the past three weeks. And uh, it's not all doom and gloom for Seattle as Tyler Lockett now leads the league with 13 catches and 510 yards on 20-plus yard targets. He is a weapon, but somebody should tell Russ that so is DK Metcalf. You mean DJ, wait, wait Decoy Metcalf. Decoy Metcalf. <laughs> DJ Coy Metcalf. Completely butchered it, but all right. <laughs> all right, we are going to close out the show with some buy-sell recaps. So we're going to go over weeks eight. Up until present of our rebuilders and contenders, buys and sells. So, Kyle, all your buys are going to be this week. All my sells are going to be this week. And then we're going to rotate for next week. So, how about you start us off with the buys? All right, so dating back to week eight, I said what you disagreed with at the time and was a little bit of a bold claim, but I will say it's come through. I told you week eight, if you were a rebuilder, to buy Tua Tungavailoa. And since then, Tua's been pretty solid. He's been up and down. He had obviously dealt with the injury a little bit, but his last few games, he's been a franchise-looking quarterback. Do I dare say that he is the quarterback of the future for Miami? I haven't heard those whispers. Maybe it's because the trade deadline passed and no one's eyeing Deshaun Watson anymore, but it seems like Tua just sort of has this job in tow. Yeah, he has looked good, and I said it in the the recap. I think he's looked good. The, The thing that's concerning with me is that he looked bad when the team wasn't playing well, and then he looks good when the team's playing well. So it's like, like I said earlier, is he a truck or is he a trailer? When the team's playing good, he has good games. When Jalen Waddle takes four yard catch, forty yards, he looks good. Now I'm not taking anything away from him. He has been very accurate. His completion percentage is, I, I think it was over eighty percent for the second game in a row. You can't fake that. You know, there's something to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the offensive line as bad as he has, pretty much any success is impressive. Um, so I'll give you that. It was a good pick. Uh, I Are did we doing grades this one again? Uh, yeah, sure. We'll grade it. Dude, what you got? Uh, Tua, Before you say that, Tua Tungavailoa is second in the league in completion percentage. Oh, what a stud. That's got to bump me up at least a full letter grade. Yeah, I'll give you a B. I won't give you an A because okay. he's not like – take that. He's, Sounds right. He keeps fumbling all the time, and I'm still concerned that they're going to try to replace him as soon as they can. You think so? Like, I really don't think it's happening this year. They, I think they need enough other pieces. And I think he's at least partially responsible. I don't want to take anything away from Jalen Waddle. He's looked great. But look what he's doing when he has talent at wide receiver. When he went all of last year without Devontae Parker and all this year without Parker and Fuller. And it's just been this one rookie, Jalen Waddle. And to his credit, Waddle's come through also. But I, I think there's a little bit of give and take for each side here. Like, give Tua some credit. He's really balled out when he has weapons to throw to. Yeah, and he's living up to his pre-draft billing, which was accurate. That's his number one trait. Mm-hmm, right. Very accurate arm. Not not exactly the biggest downfield thrower. Uh, I still want to see him take more risks, take more shots. Um, but those plays take a minute to, to develop, and his, his offensive line isn't there for that, that, that time to be there. What weapon do you really trust right now for those long developing plays? Like Waddle can do that. We saw him do that whenever he was in Alabama, but the way he's being utilized right now in Miami is just short area target to bust out the yak. So if they're not going to run him on those routes, like do you trust Mac Hollins to go up and get a ball 40 yards downfield? Cause I don't <laughs> think that's a smart play. 
former Eagle great Matt Collins. No, uh, (laughs) I do not trust him to do that. (laughs) Yeah, like I think whenever you get Devontae Parker back, if that ever happens, same with Will Fuller, like then then we can expect to see those shots. That'll be a really good thing to pay attention to if he does get those guys back at some point this season is pay attention to how he utilizes – for the downfield area passes. Cause we know he can do the short area stuff. Like you said, that was on his resume. That was on a scouting profile. So he's doing the stuff we know he knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a B on that one. What do you got for the next one? Next up week nine, I told contenders to go by Tyler Higby and it has not been great. So week nine, week 10, first two weeks after the buy, or after I told you to buy, he finishes with double-digit fantasy points. Solid. But then he goes into a buy, and then he has a one-catch performance for three yards against Green Bay. Not great. But this also coincides with the Rams struggling as a whole. Their offense has been okay, not as good as we probably expected them to be in the beginning of the season. Obviously, losing Robert Woods plays a huge factor in that. And so I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna sit here and take a complete L on Tyler Higby. I still think he has a chance to bounce back, especially with the schedule that he has coming up, starting with Jacksonville this week. Then you got the first place Cardinals, but then Seattle, Minnesota, and Baltimore. And those are teams that are all very susceptible, probably with the exception of Arizona, to points against the tight end. So as the offense begins to click a little more, I'm still hoping that Tyler Higby is going to start pulling in some of those red zone targets like I talked about when I made him the buy back in the day. He was getting all the red zone targets. They just weren't turning into scores. It's something I want to see as the offense starts to click a little bit more down the stretch. Yeah, this one's been rough. I mean, uh, grade-wise, it's, it's, he's getting the targets. So, I mean, when it comes to the tight ends, like he, he's averaging like six or seven targets over the past three weeks. Right. Um, so Yeah, 20 targets over his you, last three games. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that in terms of uh, he has the peripheral numbers that you should expect some more in production going forward. Uh, that being said, the offense has, looks like it has a lot of issues right now. Right. And he is way down the list of priorities in terms of who they want to get the ball to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I still stand by, like, if I was you, I'd stand by the call. It's a good call when, when you made it. It just hasn't panned out, and that's just the name of the game. I'll give you a, I'll give you a C-. minus. Hey, thanks. Inspiring stuff. All right, moving on to Week 10. I told Rebuilders to go and buy David Montgomery, and he has not been good especially since I made the call. But that's the whole point of buying when you are the rebuilder in that situation is you know that that situation is not getting better overnight. It's not going to just magically turn on and, hey, the season's won. Like that's, that's the move you make for a contender. For a rebuilder, this is going to be the long-term thing like we've talked about before. And the last few days for Mon- or few games for Montgomery since he's been back, he's got 13 carries, 63 yards, 14 carries for 58 yards, 17 carries for 46 yards, all of this without a score. And you want to talk about broken offense. So Chicago's near the top of the list. Now you got to deal with the injury to Justin Fields and any momentum that they were gaining going into last week is now just sort of reset as Andy Dalton takes over. So this is one of those long-term buys. Like I said, he's still 24 years old. He's got plenty of time to turn it around. He's still getting a large running back rush share. He still is getting occasional targets. He's averaging two a game over the last three games, which obviously that's nothing much. But all the targets that you get for David Montgomery, that's just icing on the top of the cake. That's not what we expect him to be. And it's the same argument as I had before. Once the offense improves, he's going to turn into a staple of it. The thing is, this was a move for rebuilders. It's not happening this season or maybe anytime soon. Their next two games are against the top two teams in the NFC, Arizona and Green Bay. I don't expect a lot of offense for Chicago. I don't expect big weeks for David Montgomery. I still think he's a good long-term buy. Yeah, I disagree with you then, and I still do. I I don't think he's a great buy for rebuilders because I just don't think he's in the long-term plans. And I don't know if when he becomes a free agent and and signs elsewhere – uh, when a new regime comes into Chicago, that he's going to be worth much. I think you're buying him when you bought him was a, a little bit high. Obviously, after this past two weeks, he, his value is lower. After the next two weeks, his value might be even lower. Um, I just I just don't believe in him, and the situation doesn't seem like it's getting any better anytime soon. So what grade did you get me on the David Montgomery? I know you uh, disagree D. with it, so I'm not I can't give you much. a fail. Because it's a rebuilder buy Jeez. and uh, things could change, but I give I'm you getting a D. some tough grades on this one, man. Like, hey, I gave you a good one. I gave you a good one on uh, Tua, That's dude. Good. I don't know what kind of student you were, but C is not a good grade. I feel like Tua <laughs> is is better than a C. The way I you've give been you a B on Tua. Oh, B. Okay. B. Yeah. All right. All right. That's He's fine. pretty good. Okay. 
On to my next one. This last one just came through uh, just this last week, week 11. And that was to buy Melvin Gordon. And Gordon had a hell of a game. I mean, take it for what it's worth. It's against the LA Chargers. But I laid out all the reasons on the pod last week of why Melvin Gordon can expect to see similar success down the stretch. Like I mentioned, his schedule, he's got Kansas City, then Detroit, Cincinnati, Vegas, and then the LA Chargers that he just ripped up one more time. It's a great schedule like for all the points that I laid out. And uh, you didn't really have your chance to rebuttal last week whenever I made Gordon the buy. So what, what do you think about Melvin Gordon as a buy right now? I like it a lot because everybody and their mother wants to uh, slurp Javante Williams, exactly. myself included. Yeah. Um, so you're going to get him cheap, and he has been producing, and it looks like he's going to continue to produce. I mean, he's had double-digit touches almost every week of the season. If not, yeah, it looks like every week of the season he's had yep. double-digit touches, yep. and uh, they're winning. You know, they they've they beat Dallas. Isn't it uh, disgusting though? Like, isn't Denver like the worst? or at least most boring, pretty good team right now. Like, yeah. you, you want to talk about seven seeds that could sneak their way in? I do not want to watch Denver play postseason football. Not this team. Not with Teddy Bridgewater as their quarterback. By all accounts, seems like a great guy, really tough guy, hard-nosed, like a Vic Fangio model of what you want out of a football player. But, my God, I do not like when these guys are on my television. No, they're, they're hard to watch. But with good defense and suspect quarterback play, I mean, ask the Cleveland Browns, your best friend is the writing game. And yeah. with two yeah, really competent backs like Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, that's, that's how you win. I mean, yeah. that's how you beat the Dallas Cowboys, who are one of the best teams in the NFC. That's how you beat the L.A. Chargers, who have a really powerful offense. So there it is. I like that one. I'll give you a B-plus on that one. Hey, I'm turning B+. it around a little bit. All right, yeah, so I say out of my four buys over the last four weeks, couple of hits, couple that you disagree on. Higby, Montgomery, sort of in that gray area, wait and see. But Tua and Melvin Gordon, I'm taking the wins. Yeah, for sure. All right, you ready to get put under the spotlight? Yeah, it's time for the cells. Sell. No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell anything. me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Sell! All right, so in week eight, if you were a contender, I told you to sell Michael Carter. I told you to sell him right after he went off against Cincinnati. After that, he had a pretty solid game against Indy. Um, and then he kind of fell apart after that. Got injured, had a down game. So mm-hmm. if you didn't sell him right when I told you to sell him, or if you did, you probably missed out on one more good week. But then he kind of went downhill. I won't take a victory lap on an injury, but um, probably would have been a good time to sell. Yeah, I think so. It's, I mean, obviously the injury is going to play a huge factor. Um, he's not eligible to come back, I don't think, until week 15. And he's got a very good fantasy playoff schedule until the finals where he has Tampa Bay. You don't want to touch him there. But Miami and then Jacksonville in the first two rounds of the playoffs, like it's going to put it's going to put any owner of Michael Carter in a really tough spot for your fantasy playoffs when you're going to be week one of the postseason. Michael Carter coming off of an injury, but a juicy matchup against Miami. Do you put him into your lineup right away? Can you afford to sit him for a week? Like it's going to be a tough spot. As far as the sell itself, I've been on board with this the whole time. Uh, Michael Carter is fine for what he is, but he's just a guy. Like we've talked about so many times, like there's just nothing that he does special. And he just happens to be in a situation right now in New York where he's the lead back and he was getting great volume whenever he was uh, still healthy over 70% of the carries week seven, week eight. Then you tell folks out there to sell his carries dropped 58% or his uh, snaps rather dropped 58%, 52% and then 28% on the week he got injured. So you're definitely happy if you sold around that Cincinnati time. That was definitely the peak. I gave you a B plus. Oh, nice. Uh, this next one is pretty much ungradable because right after I told you to sell yeah. DeAndre Hopkins as a rebuilder, he has yet to play another game. It's very similar to what I did early in the season where I told people to sell Chris Carson and then same thing. We talk about him a few weeks later on the recap and it's, oh, yeah, he hasn't played football since then, so... Yeah, not much you can do about it. But I will say this, like missing time with that injury, we both put these guys into cell windows and their value takes a hit at that point. Like we're not telling, we've never put an injured player on this list to my knowledge. 
because obviously you're never going to be selling in, a, in an opportune time there. But Hopkins value took a hit since then. Like he may come back and he may be great, but like we talked about on the first group, does that just reopen a, a sell opportunity in the offseason for you? Maybe. Um, I would definitely try to sell him still in, in the offseason. Even if I'm a contender, I might try to sell him in the offseason. Um, I, I just love yeah. that. I love having guys that are that are fading with huge names because you can almost always get more than, than what they're realistically worth. I mean, look at a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, think about young wide receivers right now. Would you trade DeAndre – if you're – a contender. Would you trade mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins for I don't want to be too obvious, like Justin Jefferson, obviously, yes, you would trade him for Justin Jefferson, but would you trade him for Here, you want, me to just, uh, you want me to just put up the list right here and see uh, where our top fantasy wide receivers are and go down the list? Yeah, sure. Uh, so start off some easy ones. Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. Rather have all those guys, right? Yep. Corderell Patterson. No. <laughs> would you rather I, have nuke i would keep deandre hopkins yes okay so he's number five uh justin jefferson jamar chase stefan diggs those ones are probably obvious all right nuke or mike evans that's tough man. that's a good Honestly, one isn't it? that's a that's a tough one because mike evans slightly younger i believe it's one um, year difference yeah mike evans 28 nuke 29 yeah. he has a lot more touchdowns and touchdown opportunity in general because uh, I feel like their targets are, are way higher distributed in Arizona. Um, there's a right. rushing quarterback in Arizona, so that takes some touchdown opportunities away. Mike Evans has been the most consistent, not necessarily on a week-to-week basis, but on a season-long basis, one of the most consistent wide receivers in football. Uh, well, I'll tell I you this while a- you're making up your mind. I would much rather have Nuke in this situation, and it's for a lot of the reasons that you sort of alluded to quarterback situation he's got his franchise quarterback in Kyler Murray even though he's not Tom Brady obviously but Kyler's not going anywhere as long as Nuke stays in Arizona he's got Kyler Murray throwing him the football so that's great uh he's got the skill set that transcends time a lot better than the skill set that Mike Evans owns which is Mike Evans is literally going to wake up one day probably going to be the day Tom Brady leaves and you're going to wish you did not have him anywhere in fantasy he's, he's going to be gone he's going to be a nothing so for all those reasons, I'd rather have Nuke, but I think we reached about the area. Uh, Mike Evans, some other guys, Adam Thielen, probably in that range. Keenan Allen, sort of depending on what type of receiver you're looking for. All these guys that are probably near the apex of what they're going to be as fantasy players, that it's about the time to move on. So right. I have to grade you, don't I? Uh, yeah, 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 incomplete. I mean, I can't give you anything else. Incomplete. Yeah. All right, week 10, if you were a contender, I double dipped on this one so we can go through both these. Uh, if you were a contender, I told you to sell Mac Jones and Ramondre Stevenson. So right after I told you to sell Mac Jones, he had the best game of his young career. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, rough for for your boy here. But Mac Jones with the best game of his career still wasn't like a game winner uh, right. for you in fantasy. And that was my big argument. So although I still take the L on this one humbly, uh, I think that – he just doesn't have as high of a ceiling as you'd want. And with a guy this young, you can get a lot for him, especially in super flex leagues, that maybe you could eventually get that guy with a much higher ceiling. Yeah, Mac Jones, that was a tough one. Like you said, he, he it was really just the matchups. We knew he was going to play against Atlanta and Tennessee. And at the time, Tennessee still had some of the pieces that they were missing for this game. So there's really no way to tell just how hobbled and decimated that team was going to be. He finishes the QB four on the week and, I would say do not get used to that. Okay, like Kendrick Bourne is not going to break these miraculous touchdowns every single week. As much as I like Kendrick Bourne, like it's going to he's going to come back down to earth with some of these fluke plays that make him a great play, a great fantasy play. But I mean, you could look at the last four weeks when he's played Tennessee, Atlanta, Cleveland and Carolina in reverse order. Two of those four weeks, he's outside the top 15, 20 quarterbacks. He sunk you against Carolina. He puts up five fantasy points against Atlanta in what should be a great matchup. He puts up 11. In the games against Cleveland and Tennessee, 24 points, 26 points. Those are solid weeks for Mac Jones. But like, it, it's very similar to what we said when we were talking about it before. Like, He's going to have somewhere around a QB 18 to 20 uh, season-long floor for you. But that ceiling is not really going to be any higher than QB 12. So I'm still on board with moving on. So what would you, what would you grade me for Mac? For Mac, I'm going to give you – so I think his value has gone up since then. I think it can continue to go up. 
Late in the season, he gets Indianapolis, Jacksonville, and Miami in three of the last four games of the season. I think he's got a chance to really do well against those teams. So I think if you sold, it was a little early, but I'm still not against the sell. I think he's a good piece to move this offseason if you're so inclined. So I'll give you a C-minus for Mac. Yeah, I, I, I can take that. I think that might even be a little uh, generous. but Well, I, I still agree with the mindset, the process, and the evaluation and all that. This is the only reason that you get a solid grade, but his his value is still, I mean, solid. I just complained that I thought you gave me a C. I gave you a C minus, call it solid. So double standard there. Sorry. All right. So his, one of his fellow backfield mates, Ramondre Stevenson, was another sell that I listed if you're a contender. That was right after he went off against Cleveland in a 45 to 7 domination. Period yep. um, answer that, both those guys. Yeah. And then after that, at Atlanta, he had 70 yards, no touchdowns, didn't exactly crush you. Uh, but then Tennessee, he was unstartable. Uh, definitely not somebody you, you wanted to have in your lineup. I think that was a good process, good result. Yeah, in eight games he's played this season, he's been above a 40% snap share just once, and it was in that game that you talked about against Cleveland. 20 carries for 100 yards and two scores. I still like Ramondre Stevenson, the player, and now I think his value is probably returned to somewhere about where it should be. It's the fact that he's going to be playing in New England. He's going to be with Damian Harris for at least the next year or two. It's going to be an offense that continues to divvy up the backfield. Uh, Next year, James White should be back. And yeah, I know James White's not necessarily someone you're clamoring to get after in fantasy, but he's going to be about 30 years old and he's still going to be able to catch the football. So you talk about a, a position in fantasy where if Damian Harris is gobbling up the touchdowns, James White and now Brandon Bolden are, are taking all the catches, what's left for Ramondre Stevenson? So it's definitely still a sell. If you did sell at week 10, perfect. That was the perfect time to do it. He's not coming close to what he did against Cleveland. So I give you a B plus. All right. And that's the end of my sell. So after 12 weeks or 11 weeks, how do you feel about your – all your buys. I like my buys a lot more than my sells. I don't know that any of my buys I can point to and say, oh yeah, I fell flat on my face in that one. The two L's that I'm going to take are going to be from my sells uh, in the first few weeks of the season in Debo Samuel, which I'm just completely admitting I was wrong. Like Debo (laughs) is a better player than I thought he was. Uh, He stayed healthy up until this point, but this little minor groin injury he's dealing with is not something that's going to make me change my mind on what I've seen out of him this season. The one that I, I, you probably have to call it an L because of the time it happened, but the one I'm really still digging my heels in on was Marquise Brown. Exactly what I expected to happen in Baltimore has come true since Rashad Bateman's been on the field. And he's a rookie who was banged up the whole preseason, got zero time in the preseason to build a rapport with Lamar Jackson but he came in and instantly was gobbling up those middle-of-the-field targets, which is what made Marquise Brown great, like so much better than he's ever been through the first half of the season, is the middle-of-the-field targets. We talked about what he's done over the course of his career is that field-stretching speed threat, and yes, he's great at that, but that's not something you want to rely on on fantasy. The reason he was a wide receiver one this first half of the season was because he was getting that high target value. That's going to be Rashad Bateman's job. It may already be Rashad Bateman's job, so take the targets that are going to go to Bateman. Take the targets that are going to go to Andrew. Andrews. What's left for Marquise Brown? Those deep threats. He's relegated being into being back what he's been for the last two years. So if you want to give me the L on that, you can go fuck yourself. I'm still right. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe the timing-wise you were off. but Absolutely. That, that's say, that I will admit for sure. Yeah, But I'll say, like this offseason, I think it'll be a great time to sell Marquise Brown. Obviously, depending on what happens this, this upcoming, you know, next four or five weeks of the season. But with everything that's going on in that offense and with Rashad Bateman elevating, which we all call, at least me and you definitely called that, I, I just you don't I. see how you and I. I just don't see how <laughs> you don't even fight me on it anymore. Thank you. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how his value gets any higher. Uh, uh, so I think it's a good time to, to sell. This is what he is. I like anyone who's watched him has always known this. Like he's what five foot six, one hundred and twelve pounds. Like he's a great deep threat. He'll probably have. He'll be on Sports Center once a month for the rest of his career but he's not someone I want on my fantasy team. What about you on the other side? 
Yeah, so my cells, I think uh, this, you know, past four or five weeks, I did better than I did the first four or five weeks. So things are getting better. But the ones that I definitely look back on and say, uh, I don't know, I denied the guy for the wrong reasons. Uh, James Robinson, uh, week one, yeah. told you to sell James Robinson. Yeah, um, obviously, he's having a great year. Um, I said if, if you were a rebuilder, so I guess there's still a chance for that to pan out. But, man, you could have waited right. and got a lot more. For him, I think. For sure, yeah. Uh, that and uh, Joe Burrow. Told you to sell Joe Burrow as a Yeah, contender. that was a tricky one, too. He's having a great year. Um, and I, I just shouldn't have – I should have looked at the facts, right? The facts are he has a top five running back. He has a top five wide receiver core. Him, him – like himself is probably like a, a top five in terms of talent uh, in terms of quarterbacks in the AFC. So it's like – you know, between all the, the variables, you should get a good result there. And I just was sure that things would start to slow down. And maybe not, man. Joe Burrow is having a good year. How about on the buy side? On the buy side? So do you want me to recap who they all were if you can't remember them all? So you really started off rough, but you finished strong. Like your buys of the last three weeks that we did on the last break, T. Higgins, Robert Woods, Cole Komet. Obviously, Robert Woods gets injured, but... It, it was a good time to buy. Like, I think he was somewhere around the wide receiver 14, 13, whenever he got hurt and his yep. trajectory looked like that was about where he was going to finish the season. Uh, T Higgins, we saw him come through this last week. Outstanding. Cole Komet, he's picking up fire. But the first two weeks, Trey Sermon, Miles Ugh, Sanders, gross, those running backs gross. have not worked out for you. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Antonio Brown is like yep. never come back on the field. And uh, Zach Wilson yeah, still looks like a 12-year-old. So where, how do you feel about Zach Wilson? Because I watch him and I see someone who has every single physical trait you could want in a quarterback, but unless he plays in a situation that's going to give him time to make plays, that's going to have wide receivers get open for those highlight improv plays. Like I, I picture him as a less fast Kyler Murray with a better arm, if that makes sense. And just his improv skills are great, but he doesn't he doesn't get the chance to showcase them in New York where he's constantly under fire and he has arguably one reliable pass catcher. So I'm not completely out on him like the way I think the rest of the community probably is. Yeah, I'm definitely not out on him. I, I just think with rookie quarterbacks, you can't be out on this early. I mean, right. Th- this is the extreme example, but Josh Allen, you know, you can't be out on him. Uh, Tua, if you were out on him at the end of last year, that was that was silly. Yeah. Um, and look what's happened. Like you can extend this out just to quarterbacks in general. Look what's happening to the Seattle Seahawks when they are completely talent deprived for the last like six, eight years. Uh, Mina Kimes put out a clip today showcasing the first and second round picks for Seattle dating back to like 2012. And they have one hit and it's DK Metcalf. Like no one else is on the roster and contributing. Like they have their front office has just been a mess uh, Pete Carroll has way too much say in that organization and he's running it into the ground and look what's happening. Like Russell Wilson, a hall of fame quarterback looks more human than he's ever looked in his life. Yeah. And and that's the problem. You can't look at these guys in, in the current situation and confidently project where they're going to be two years from now. I mean, with, especially with these bottom of the belt organizations, I mean, it, it, you just have to, you have to look at the upside as much as you look at, the downside and, and what's currently going on and, and be fair and honest with the evaluation and being fair and honest right now is that he has one wide receiver. He has no running back. He has maybe one or two good offensive linemen. The rest are terrible. Yeah. And uh, it's just, he doesn't have a lot of positives going on around him. I mean, he got injured and some random backup came in and looked like a God. Like, what does that do for his confidence? You know what I mean? Sure. Like, give it some time um, the way- and, and see how it pans out. So for anyone who's worried about that, just like the way the backups were winning were by checkdowns. Like Zach Wilson knows how to check down. Every quarterback knows how to check down. But you yeah. don't get picked number two overall because of your checkdown abilities. Like the things that make Zach Wilson special are the things that he has not yet had his chance to showcase. And it's because of the situation. And this applies to probably all of the rookie quarterbacks who went in the first round. I think there was probably one who you could judge based on their performance this year. And it's the one who hasn't got on the field, and that's Trey Lance. He was the only one that was walking into a competent situation. But obviously, he's playing second fiddle right now. This is still Jimmy Garoppolo's team. So those, those other four guys, they're in awful situations. Hold out judgment. Do not panic on these guys. 
Let me put a bow on this Zach Wilson talk by giving you a little, a little bit of a comparison. So I think Zach Wilson has a lot of the same mistakes. He makes a lot of the same mistakes as Baker Mayfield, where he is too confident with his extension of the play and his pocket sure. movement and, yep. and all that stuff. The difference is the arm talent between Baker Mayfield and Zach Wilson, is, yeah. the difference is astronomical. Zach, Zach Wilson has a much stronger, more cannon. live cannon arm that he can make all the throws with his eyes closed. So mm-hmm. I, I think if you like some, some parts about Baker's game, imagine Baker with a, an arm that's tenfold as talented as his right. arm right now. Kick and, and sling it. All right. So that's enough of that. It is time for the final segment. Do you remember? So I gave you a hint on this one. Hmm. The hint is LF. Can you guess what that hint stands for? So LF, the first thing I think of is obviously Leonard Fournette. And if you put Leonard Fournette on here, I'm going to be really <laughs> pissed off. Of course I remember Leonard Fournette. So this is probably going to give it away, but they are the initials for his nickname. Initials for his nickname, LF, Lima Foxtrot, Lil, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So if I told you the nickname is Law Firm, who would I be talking about? Law Firm? Yeah. I don't know. Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I never knew that was a nickname of his, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. You never knew that was his nickname? It's like one of the best nicknames ever. Why is he a lawyer? Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. (laughs) Was he a lawyer? No, it's just it sounds like a law firm because there's eight last oh. names. <laughs> All right, I just caught up. Uh, ding, yeah, ding, ding. LF? So, How the hell was I going to get it off LF? I couldn't make it too obvious. I, I'd have I to make to so you. many connections. I couldn't yeah. even get there with you giving me two of the three steps. <laughs> no, that's a good one, though. Ben Jarvis Greenell is solid. So, Ben Jarvis Greenellis came into the league in 2008 out of Mississippi, Ole Miss. Mississippi. Okay, do you know where he got drafted to? So, I'm trying to remember the teams he's played for. I don't know, what, Cincinnati, New England? Yeah, those are the two teams. He was on New England first. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to find out where he got drafted. I didn't see it, but... He spent four years in New England and two years in Cincinnati, and, and he was out of the league. So, six oh, years, not bad for a running back. I mean, yeah, good fantasy success, I think. Yeah, I mean, for a year had, or two there. He had two years over a thousand yards, one with New England, one with Cincinnati. So Very nice. Pretty good. Uh, two years, double digit touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's what I remembered was him punching it yeah. in the end zone a lot. 2010, he had a thousand and eight yards rushing, 13 touchdowns for New England. There you go. There's a ratio a hell of a for year. you. Very, Hell like, LeGarrette Blount-esque. Yeah. They always have that guy. Of course. This year, they right, split man. him up into three different people. <laughs> yeah, then you have to guess. Good luck. So, hey, uh, we're still a couple weeks away, but do you want to tell the folks what we got on tap, or I could tell them down the yeah, final stretch here? Yeah, give it a shot. Sure. So, obviously, next week, we're going fi- to finish up our buys and sells recaps, being that trade deadlines are obviously come and gone or are coming and going soon. And then we're going to finish up with something that I really don't think exists out there, at least not that I've heard in the Dynasty format. I'm sure those of you who listen to a fantasy football podcast listen every week and they hear the waiver show, and it never applies to us Dynasty players because, obviously, those guys are not rostered. Or they are rostered. Like, every one that they're talking about is rostered. So what we're going to do is we're going to break down the final four weeks of the season. Uh, (laughs) Final four weeks of the season. And we're going to talk about position by position, uh, free agent agent pickups (laughs) that you can make in Dynasty that may have some value the following season. Like, we talked about a little bit this offseason. Like, one of those highlight guys for me was uh, obviously not someone who's worth a ton right now, but Marquez Calloway. Like, imagine if you sold at the peak of Marquez Callaway, what you got for a guy who was 100% free last year. Like, you could have picked him up on waivers in Dynasty, and that's not a common thing. And I think it's something that can separate so many Dynasty players out there. Like, if there's one thing I do in Dynasty, I think, better than other people, 
It's my ability to sort of look in the future at these situations, find these guys as stashes off the waiver wire to go put on my bench and get something out of them. Earlier this season, I took Jeremy McNichols off of the waiver wire. I put him in in the pocket in my bench. I ended up trading him, trading that, and then doing like the marble to a house thing. Ended up with Robert Woods. Hey, I got myself a wide receiver too. And then like literally three hours later, he tears his ACL (laughs) as is my season. But these are moves that you can make as a dynasty player that can set you apart from your league mates is to find those guys and look forward to the situation they may be in in a year and try to get some value for free. Yeah, it's definitely worthwhile, especially when uh, a lot of offseason dynasty players are exactly that. They, it's the offseason. You know, they're not exactly sure. uh, keeping up, paying attention. But if you do that extra work, you get the extra reward. And that is cashing in on low, uh, low risk, high reward type players, guys like Marquez Calloway, like you mentioned. So I think it's going to be fun. I think you guys are going to like it. I know me and you are going to have fun with it. So it should be a good time. Uh, let the people know where they can find us. Absolutely. Follow us on Twitter at FFlexecution, F-F-L-E-X-E-C-U-T-I-O-N. Follow me at FFMasterDebater. Talk about putting in the work for that low risk, high reward. We'll do the work for you and we'll let y'all keep the awards. Wait, rewards. God damn it. I can't talk down the stretch. Get us <laughs> out say, of here. Did you say putting in the work like P-U-D-D-I-N? <laughs> yes, I said President Putin the work. Get us out of here. Pop shit up. That's my dog guys in depression. And uh, I love you guys. Have a good day. Peace.